0: reading this morning comes from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the surrounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And our second scripture reading is from 1 Chronicles 15, 25 to 29. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand (coughs) went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and as were the musicians and Kenaniah who was in charge of the singing of the choirs David also wore a linen ephod So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of the ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of the lyres and harps. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Lord, as we gather in your presence this day, as we come and hear the story of King David, may you dance in our hearts. May your spirit be within us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. A number of years ago, we had a band play, church, play in our church on a Sunday morning. It was my cousin's band from the valley, Windsor Way, and some of you will remember this. And before the service, we were in the hall getting ready to come in and, and pray, and they asked me a question. They said, while we're playing, what will the people do? Will they clap and dance and wave their hands? I thought for about half a second and said, no, I don't think so. So that that was fine. They just just needed to know what to expect. And then we prayed and we came in and they sat down and they started to play. And the first song, the first song, I see people with hands raised, waving, singing, and clapping. The first song, I was shocked, in a good way, I remember coming to the microphone after they played and said, you all made a liar out of me. (laughs) So when I think about that Sunday back then, on a Mother's Day a number of years ago, I think about what was different about that Sunday compared to what we do every other Sunday. What was it that took us from our usual reserved selves and made us... Show outward emotion in worship. Now, it was the first song. So clearly it was the music. It was the instruments, the guitar, the piano, the bass. It seems those instruments, along with the song we were barely familiar with, caused us to publicly display our enjoyment. And again, I wonder what was different that Sunday than any other Sunday. And the reason I wonder that is because we have one of the best organists in the province, if not the country, to be perfectly honest. She can play anything we throw at her at the organ. And she plays it amazingly, which is not hard to do, especially some of the stuff she ends up playing. Yet Sunday after Sunday, we sing quietly, reservedly, throughout the service. And we clap our hands politely when the the choir sings their anthem. I'm not complaining. I'm just observing, I'm reflecting, I'm pondering. Sunday after Sunday, we have top-notch music in our church. And I know we appreciate it. I know we appreciate it. I appreciate it, what she does. I've been in churches where you sit through the music and you wonder, how do they stay open if this is the best they can offer? My parting thought as I leave is usually, this place must be something special to these people. If they keep coming back week after week. Now, on the flip side, I've been to churches with bands. And there's people with hands up, and they're shouting out the lyrics, they're dancing in the aisles, they're falling on their knees, they're crying. And there's been times when I leave those churches and think, well, wasn't that just a little too much? A couple of months ago, I had a conversation with my friend, a friend of mine, and we were talking about church music very briefly in a, in a long conversation. And he called the pipe organ the worship suppressor. What he meant by that is that the organ can be loud, oppressive, and not very conducive to singing. Now, I do not include us in that category. Because, again, we have a top-notch organist who knows how to play at a volume appropriate to the song we're singing and to the atmosphere that is happening in the congregation. But I suspect that sometimes, someplace, somewhere, We've all gone to a church service that we just felt like the organ drowned us out. I've been to it in small churches. I've been to it in cathedral-sized churches. Just the organ was completely oppressive. And we, you, you couldn't hear yourself sing. Now, I've been to also worship bands that have done the same thing. So it's not just the organ that can be oppressive. I mean, guitars, pianos, they can be just as oppressive when the sound is blasting at you from the stage. So, But there's that old saying, right? When all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. When we only have one instrument at our disposal, whatever it may be, whether it be the music or style of worship or whatever, we can get stuck into thinking that this way is always the way we need to do it. This, our way is the right way. And we see that happen again and again and again. Now over the last month, I don't know if you noticed, but I switched the service up a little bit. And I've done it again today just because it's easier for me than going back and forth to the guitar. So over the last month, I've been preaching near the end of the service. Pastoral prayer has been moved up. And I don't really know what you think of that. But there's been no complaints, so I guess it's okay. Just having a little fun changing things up now and again. And I suspect that because all the core elements are still in our service, we still sing three hymns with the organ, we still have the pastoral prayer, we still have uh, scripture readings, we still have a sermon, that's all still there, just in a slightly different order, so I assume everything still feels comfortable. And today we have no organ, so Paula Jane is off at a long overdue, well-deserved visit to the grandkids, and she'll be back next week. So you're stuck with me and my guitar? Uh, which I've played about two times since the pandemic started, by the way, so my fingers are really sore already. Um, But yeah, so we go from the majestic organ, played beautifully, to an amateur with six strings. So thankfully, Paula Jane is back next week. I guess what I'm getting at is, what is worship? What is praise? What are these things? Well, first... I believe everything we do in this sanctuary is worship. Everything we do in this sanctuary is worship. Like our singing, our prayers, our preaching, our baptisms, our weddings, our funerals, our offering. It is all worship. Everything we do in this room is considered worship. Everything we do is for honoring God. So what about praise? What is praise? Praise is a celebration of God's work among us. It is celebrating what God is doing right now and for the rest of the week we're celebrating God. That is praise. So we have honoring God and celebrating God and we do that together in worship in this place, in this time. Now I've been to some churches where they see worship kind of as the music piece. Well they'll play music for 15, 20, 30 minutes and then worship comes to an end and then the preacher comes up and and preaches for 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes depending on the church you go to. I'm not going 60 minutes, don't worry. So they sing their songs to God and after 30 minutes they're done Then the preacher comes up and teaches for however long. In a sense they do worship and praise and then that ends and they come to the teaching part. Now I think if we sat down and we discussed with them about their service, they would actually say the whole thing is really worship and praise. But just, it's just the language they use. Our worship time, our teaching time. That just feels a little weird. Especially to those of us who come from a, a, an, a, an older traditional liturgical background. Where we do church in a certain order and we expect things to happen in a certain way and, So it just feels different for us when we go there. And they use the same words, but in a slightly different way. So what does it mean to be in worship, to be in praise? Well, I think we can turn to the Bible and see some examples of that. So we heard from Psalm 150, and it talks about worshiping. It is encouraging us to praise the Lord. Psalm 150 is the last of the book of Psalms, most of which were written by King David. And so what does Psalm 150 do? It's a beautiful end to the entire book because it's encouraging us to worship and praise God. It says, praise God in the sanctuary. That's the first thing it tells us to do. So we're doing that. And then it says, praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his power and greatness. I think we do that too. And then it goes on. It says, praise him with the trumpet, the harp, the lyre, with strings and pipe and cymbals. Praise him with dancing. And then it ends with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. We are invited into a deeply personal relationship with our God through Jesus Jesus shows us God is not distant. He's not up in an easy chair in the heavens and the clouds watching everything unfold. Jesus shows us that God is present and near to us in every single moment of our lives. Paul, uh, Jesus shows us, Paul writes about it. This is not a new thing. Back to Adam and Eve, God walked in an intimate relationship, walked literally side by side with Adam in an intimate relationship together. Now, before COVID, what would you do if you saw a friend or family member you haven't seen for months or years? Well, actually, that could be coming up anyway. But someone you haven't seen in a very long time, what do you do? You hug them, you smile, you're excited to see them, right? Now, if you're like me, you're a real sucker for those videos of military personnel coming home after the deployment. You see them on Facebook and social media and that kind of thing. There's usually a couple of different standards. You see the school gymnasium full of students for some sort of assembly, maybe a pep rally for a big game. And then the doors swing open and in walks someone and the camera focuses in on one kid. It doesn't matter how old they are, five, 10, 17, they focus in on one kid. And then the kid makes the realization that's my mom or my dad. And what do they do? They jump up, they run straight across the gym and into their arms with the biggest hug ever in the world. And there's tears, and there's crying, and there's laughter. And then there's the other examples that you tend to see. The doorbell rings, and mom goes to open the door, and there's son or daughter there, surprising them coming home from overseas. And again, what happens? There's hugs and tears and giant hugs and laughter and smiles. Those are the signs of an intimate relationship, right? Right? We might even react that way to friends we haven't seen in a long time. It's exciting, it's, it's emotional, it's powerful. In First Chronicles 15, Yvonne read for us part of a story. Before what she read, the Israelites had, for historical context, the Israelites had come in to, uh, the Philistines had come into Jerusalem, conquered the Israelites, and taken away the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the thing, the, 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 the thing they built to hold the two tablets for the Ten Commandments as a sign of God's presence. It was ornate, it was beautiful. And the Israelites had lost it to the Philistines. So this was not right. So David, King David decides we're going to get it back. And so he gets his army, he goes back and he defeats the Philistine army and he's won back the Ark of the Covenant. And so he gets the Levites together. The Levites were appointed by God to be the caretakers of all the religious symbols and parts of of they are the priests and all of that. And so they are in charge of the Covenant Ark of the Covenant. So David gets them together to go get it. They're the ones, they're the only ones who are allowed to carry it. So as they're preparing to go get it, David says this, uh, this happens in verse 16. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, harps, lyres, and cymbals. Sounds a little familiar to Psalm 150. And so off they go, and they retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it back into the city. But the musicians are playing their instruments. There's crowds all around the place. It's a giant parade. And then who's at the front of the parade? It's King David. And what's he doing? He's dancing. The king is dancing in the streets. Not only that, but he wasn't wearing a whole lot of clothes doing it. David was so excited that the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God, was returning to the city, he led the parade down Main Street, dancing like a fool. His praise, his worship on full display for everyone to see. He was showing praise and worship in the presence of the Lord, honoring God and rejoicing in what he was doing, what God was doing in David's life. David is so happy he cannot contain himself and dances in the street. I've not seen too many world leaders dancing in their capital cities on the main streets. Have you? Of course, part of the difference is the world leaders of today are not quite like King David. King David was named a man after God's own heart. Now, did he make some pretty huge mistakes? Oh, yeah, he did. But then he would go on to repent of those mistakes and seek to, be, seek to right his relationship with God, which is pretty easy to do because God, they turn to God and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and it's done. So what I'm wondering is, is how we express the joy of God in our lives. May we seek to let God Moving us so intimately, so personally, that maybe we'll even break into out into dance once in a while, even if it's when we're home alone in our kitchen where no one can see. Or maybe we could be like Romans 12 and consider this: offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I guess what I'm getting at is live in the joy of the Lord. If it means you dance, you dance. If you want to sing and shout your praise, then do it. If you want to roll down your car windows and blast your favorite hymns or Christian music as you're driving down the street, go for it. I sometimes wondered while I was in seminary what people thought of that as I drove down Goddington Street in Halifax, blasting my music with the windows open as I was driving back home from a church meeting or whatever. But really, I didn't care. I was in my car worshiping and praising the Lord. We have freedom in Christ. We have the tools at our disposal to display our affection for Him, however we do this, and just our affection for God, our Father. We have things like guitars and drums and organs and pianos, and we have our hands, we have our feet, we have our voices. Sometimes we think we might do it, maybe just a little bit, put our hand up a tiny bit. Then we know no, someone might think I'm look silly. We wonder what people will think of us. That we're expressing our joy for the Lord. Maybe they'll think we've gone crazy and put us in a mental hospital or something like that. You know what? And so what if he does? We are expressing our joy in the Lord. David's act of dancing at the end of that reading proved that not everyone was happy about it. David's rival, Saul and Saul's family, were not very happy about David dancing in the streets, showing his joy to the Lord. But did David care? Not one stinking bit. We are children of God. Think about this for a second. We are children of God. He has chosen us to be his child. He has chosen us to love us and care for us. He has chosen you. He loves you. He cares for you. God has no grandchildren. Did you know that? He has no grandchildren. Everyone is a child of God. And by the way, you're the favorite. Just don't tell the others. Which means we don't inherit our faith. We don't. We receive our faith as a gift from God himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 4, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worships were worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the, God, the Father seeks. Worshipers in spirit and truth. I encourage you, whatever way is comfortable for you, or maybe even push that comfort zone just a little bit at times. It doesn't have to be here, it could be home somewhere. But find a way to worship in spirit and truth. Free our bodies from the limitations of this world and let God's spirit fill us. Fill our bodies, fill our souls in praise and worship worship for him. Praise and worship that extends beyond the hour we spend here but goes into every hour of every single day. If that means dancing, so be it. If it means clapping and swaying, so be it. Do it. If it means falling to our knees, let it be. Let it go. If it means just simply raising our hands, let's not be afraid to worship and praise God in the freedom that he brings. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 150 tells us. So may God free us from the restrictions that the world has placed on us. Restrictions that make us think we can't celebrate the gifts of God in our lives outside of this building. May he free us from the thoughts that tell us we can't do it because someone will think we look weird. May God free us to be his children delighting, laughing, playing, singing, dancing, and rejoicing in the care He offers us through the depths of His love every single day. Let us receive the gifts that God has for us. Let us pray. Lord, we come before You today as people who love You, who receive Your love but God, we also struggle at times with what the world tells us is right. And so, Lord, watch over us. Free us. Open up to us the depth of your love so that we rely on you, we listen to you, we trust in you more than anything else this world offers us. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit. And if that leads us to do something that we may not have done before, so be it. Whether it is an act of worship and praise and hands and clapping and dancing or an act of service to someone in need, God, we pray that you will lead us by your Spirit to do what is right and good for this world so that we may live according to your perfect will. Lord, bless us. Lord, watch over us and be with us every single day. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.